welcome to Love in the Air, the podcast that serves up all things tennis. Whether you're a fan of the sport, a seasoned player, or a beginner just starting out, this podcast is just for you. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the game, from techniques and strategy to the latest news and trends. With expert guests, exciting interviews, and lively discussions, we'll keep you on the edge of your seat and help you take the tennis game to the next level. So grab your racket, tune in, and get ready for some ace content. This is Love in the Air, a tennis podcast. Man, I'm really excited about really understanding how to bait your opponent in singles. This episode is just going to cover that. This is where you as a student must learn. And if you're a teacher, you must teach how to create a visual or mental situations to entice your opponents to go for more risky shots. And this is what it's all about. <clears throat> As you know, many of the coaches have different strategies, but we know there are risky shots, there are risky situations. But how do we teach our students to recognize them? Or how do you learn to use them if you're a student without a coach? Once this is understood by whoever's trying to either teach or learn this strategy, it's going to be super helpful. It is then our job as coaches to show them how to create these risk shots and situations for their opponents. And it is your job as a student to learn how to do it on your own. Baiting the opponent into taking these per percent risks increases the chances for you as a student or for you as a teacher to win more matches. So how do we train someone to take and create these situations for their opponents? Well, I do have to say that I want to introduce to the idea Idea of baiting. The idea of getting your opponent to take unnecessary risk by baiting them into situations is very simple. Teaching your students or you learning as a student the basic baiting methods can help them reduce their opponent's overall shots percentages and that's what we're going to be covering. It is often the difference between winning and losing points, games, and even sometimes sets, and I'll go as far as long as matches. And it comes down to very basic four points. This is where the everything comes in. One of the major factors to keep in mind and remind your students if you're a teacher or you as a student, you have to remember, is that individual players develop weapons that might be risky for the majority, but because of their unique skills, might still be high percentage for them. Understand that concept first. Now, students and teachers must teach and taught, be willing to learn, to create visual or mental situations to entice their opponents to go for more risky shots or shot decrease the success that they create on their own by their opponents. By doing this, more easy points will win your matches. More easy points will give you the opportunity to learn more. These basic ideas that I'm sharing with you are the most used by a lot of the high-level players and they understand and execute one simple and direct instruction. Now, with all the changes in the game, the one thing in tennis that remains constant in single court dimensions is the court. The single court is 27 by 78 feet long, which is 27 by 39 from the net to the line. The diagonal dimensions measures 82.5 feet from the singles corner to the diagonal opposite corner. The net height is 36 inches in the middle, and it goes up to 42 by the net post. 
on with the single sticks. Keep that in mind. So the chords is basically a rectangle, correct? So now let's get into identifying some of the basic risk factors. Changing the direction on a rally, which is from close chord to down the line, is one of the biggest risk factors for recreational players is changing the direction of a rally. How many times have you seen a player change the direction in rallies and miss? Quite a bit, right? So you have to learn as a student and you have to teach as a teacher to the students that unless the ball is hit short and then there's adequate time to set up their right shot, it is a major risk factor that should be avoided. Hitting over the highest part of the net parallel to the sidelines by hitting down the line where the net is higher, you increase the risk factor of either he clipping the net or hitting the long ball. And you want to avoid that, right? Hitting the shortest distance within the court parallel to the sidelines I'm talking about, keep in mind. This is where core geometry comes into play. You should teach students and you should learn as a student to hit the ball cross court for the maximum distance and therefore giving yourself an additional 5.5 feet to use at a larger margin for error. Remember to also explain to your students or to learn as a student that cross court does not mean a sharp angle which actually cuts down the distance from corner to corner for the maximum distance all right hitting the ball down the line or along the shortest possible distance is much more riskier shot especially when it's done in combination with changing direction of a rally and over the highest part of the net that makes no sense right so the depth of the shot when a ball is hit deep you want to teach a student so you want to learn as a student to hit for maximum distance which is typically cross court remember that everyone's perception is what a deep shot is and what a difference makes and will vary based on your skill level but you have to focus on that now let's talk about visual appearances simply moving a few feet in the direction one or two steps you can make your opponent feel like one side is much more wider than the other. This often leads the opponent going for a riskier shot or hitting the student's strength, right? So you have to pay attention to those details. Now, let's talk about moving without the ball. Almost every sport has a provision for players moving as a diversionary tactic in trying to distract their opponents from what's important, which in tennis is hitting the ball. A great example of this is when you are standing on the half court and your opponent has committed to a shot direction. Move to the other half as he starts swinging. This has two effects. It encourages him to hit to the open court and when you move the target in the area appears smaller making your opponent hit out wider and closer to the lines now let's talk about environmental the wind the sun the shades and many other environmental issues can create problems for the opponent and for you as well and you should not be overlooking this right even though they typically are quote-unquote even However, if you know that the sun is in a bad position for your opponent and you lob or hit high, this can affect the ability for them to see the ball. In windy conditions, raising the, the flight of the ball can allow the wind to move it in an unexpected way 
and can help you exploit the opponent's poor footwork. Now let's talk about fatigue. Often when players are getting tired, they will try to end the point quickly, so pay attention, and take additional risk on shots, either an attempt to conserve the energy or due to poor shot selection, they are going to try to avoid thinking at that point except one thing and the point quickly. Each individual risk factor that I just spoke with may work in isolation but sometimes together. But by baiting the opponent into a combination of risk factors, his or her chance of being successful against you is going to be reduced tremendously. And often that is all it will take for you as a teacher to teach or for you as a student to learn to win or close a match. When I speak to my students, they come to me for a lot of reasons, but I might have yet to find anyone who really enjoys losing. So our job as coaches and your job as a student is to help yourself or help the student become more successful, which often makes them play a lot more fun. Once you taught your students and once you learn as a student about the risk factors, it's now time to show them how to bait the opponent into taking these high-risk shots. This is simple examples that I'm going to provide and can expand based on the level of players, right? So let me start when your opponent is serving. Create a visual appearance that when you're covering one part of the court on the service box is less than the other. Simply by moving just 18 to 3 feet. A little bit different, just maybe one step. And that can change the visual appearance enough to cause an error. I always like to think about the NFL. In the NFL, if you're a defensive player, you're going to provide different looks when it comes to maybe defending a, a one and ten, a third and five, a uh, three and long, right? The defense is going to adjust and they give the quarterback a different look. So I want you to approach it the same way. This is one of the coolest secrets that has actually made me win a lot of points, a lot of matches, and a lot of games. So, so here are four things you can do when the opponent is serving. One, you can move slightly toward the wide serve and it creates the appearance of hitting up the middle or the shortest distance. Number two, moving slightly toward the center. It creates the appearance that hitting out wide or over the higher part of the net would be a better option. Number three, moving forward makes most people get nervous and try to hit harder and do it more than it's necessary. Number four, move toward the weaker side and get the person to hit to your strong side. See how that starts working? Now, when you're serving, create a visual appearance that you're covering one part of the court less than the other. Bait your opponent into changing direction by hitting their return down the line off of a wide serve. Create three combined risk factors of direction change, the highest part of the net and the shortest to balance and the shortest amount of time. Serving up the middle makes the return down the line even tougher. And when the court geometry is working against them, it's going to be really tough for them to understand. High serves, most returners will make contact toward the top of the racket, make it harder to hit up the line. Then move toward your weaker side. It's an effort to bait them into hitting into your strength. Now, baseline to baseline, when in a point involving an extended cross-court rally, you can bait your opponent to hit down the line by leaving the visual appearance that the down the line short is open, often creating errors. This works against players who hit flatter because their shot have less net clearance and they are more dependent 
on hitting cross court in the maximum distance of the 82.5 feet. By baiting them into hitting down the line, it reduces the distance by four and a half feet. So they will hit to 78 feet only. And if they're really balls that are going deep, then you're really, really increasing your percentages of giving them a less percentage shot. Now, when hitting cross court, you are over the lowest part of the net. By baiting the opponent to hit down the line, you're forcing him or her to hit over the highest part of the net. Hit deep, creating a defensive shot selection and bait them into an offensive by giving them and by pretending that you're getting them to hit into the open court. And remember, many times when players choose to hit down the line, all three risk factors come into play. Direction change, height of the net, and the distance, they all come into play. They may be inclined to do this on a slower, shorter, but even then, it is still a risky shot. When you are at the net, hit the volley down the middle, trying to bait your opponent to hit a sharp cross-court angle. And when you use the court geometry against them, as they angle the ball, the line is straight, creating an even shorter distance for them to use. And they will not even notice this. Now hit wide to force a defensive shot and cover down the line, creating the appearance of the cross-court being open and using the court geometry against them, this should be done only with a volley that can be played offensively. Adding a simple movement without the ball as the opponent starts to swing, it creates a visual appearance that the target is closing in and it puts them more under pressure. Hit a low bouncing ball, often like a slice, to get them to hit up so that you can hit down, meaning you will become offensive. Hit deep to create a defensive situation and cheat toward the cross-court angle, making them hit for the shortest distance over the highest part of the net. Now, let's talk about the opponent at the net. Hit low and cross-court. Try to get them to change direction on the ball. This also forces most players to hit with the racket wrist and arm in a straight line position, which is a weaker position to volley rather than the wrist cocked back and ready to swing. Hit closer to their body in an attempt to catch them flat-footed and bait them to go for more. Hit below the height of the net to force them to hit up and try to make an either risk or drop volley. Move to a location on the core and make them hit the hardest shots possible. Typically, a short angle, a drop volley over the highest part of the net will do the job. Now, let's talk about environmental, the wind. Take the downside against the wind if you feel that you're in the mood for like a gamble. If you want to play conservator, take the upwind side or the wind. Similar considerations can be applied if you want to bait the opponent to take more chances. Remember that it is riskier to lob and try passing shots with the wind. Now the sun. Know where it is and how to use it. If your opponent cannot see, it can make it harder to hit the ball. If the sun is high in the sky, hit lobs, it is a low horizon that will make them actually guess and make them run on the direction of the sun. Now, when we talk about shadows, hitting into the shadows or alongside it creates a different light, make it harder to see the ball on them. Most people find that this affects their depth perception. This is most effective early in the morning or late in the afternoon, but it can also be done in cloudy conditions. Now, moving without the ball, you can often create a visual effect by moving without the ball 
And if you want to know that, and if you know that your opponent has the highest percentage shot across court, moving that direction as they are hitting, this may cause pressure on them into hitting closer to the lines and make additional errors. You may expel some extra effort when you're doing this, I know that, but in the long run, it might be rewarded. After all, most of the sports run plays where direction distractions are part of the play. You can also use this method in tennis, and it's never used, and I'm baffled why most people don't really understand the strategy. As a conclusion, I want you to recognize the opportunities of baiting your opponent into taking risks. You can raise your percentage and cut down his. Simple ideas and strategies can easily create visual appearances that can get more people to take unnecessary risks. It is my job as a coach and it is your job as a student to learn and to teach to increase their shots, to win in percentages by taking and understanding the risk factors and effectively using them against your opponents. By turning the game more physical, most players get tired, they become less precise in the direction of control of the ball, which can increase many of the risk factors. By turning it into a more mental game, they are forced to focus and concentrate at a much higher level. This is not going to work every time, but it is increasingly giving you better chances and then their opponents taking risks is going to make it a very tough match for them. And the players can increase their percentages enough to allow themselves to either win or lose to close out the matches. Which one do you want to be? I hope you enjoyed this podcast because it's awesome and I'll see you on the next one.